0: Welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. This is the evening service of Sunday the 30th of May 2010, entitled The Use of Money by John Wesley. And the Bible reading is taken from Luke chapter 16, verses 1 to 13. Here's Pastor Larry T. Curtis. I said this morning that uh, I was going to do something that was very different from me, for me, I've certainly, in years of ministry, there are times that I've heard sermons preached and read sermons that God spoke to my heart and has challenged me, and I've used bits and pieces and parts from them and built upon them to to build other sermons and whatnot. But uh, I said as I began to look at this, and I've looked at this sermon before in bygone years, and I've even given you a few of the simple comments out of it, I said I'm, I'm going to attempt this evening, not to try to be John Wesley by any stretch of the imagination, but to take and look at one of John Wesley's messages that he preached entitled "The Use of Money." Now it's challenging enough, and I don't know how well or how bad that I'll end up doing at this. If it's if it's too bad, then try to uh, to to hang on to what he's uh, saying because it's it's tough enough trying to read somebody else's. Uh, sermon when it's in today's English. But when it was written back in 1700, then it is very different. At first I thought, well, I'll just take those thoughts and I'll, I'll, I'll you know, rewrite it in today's English. But then as I, as I read through it, there's so many of the things that, you know, we're talking 300 years ago. The things that he hits on and the things that he was touching on even back in those days, I think, wow, you know, that's still so relevant today. And I hope that it might be a blessing. So I take no credit for you. And I'm going to try to my very best not to make too many comments because uh, I think he was probably a more long-winded preacher than even I am. And uh, so I'm going to try to stick to just his words, and I'm going to try to read them in the 1700 uh, and whatever. Let's see, this sermon was uh, written. some. He lived from 1703 to 1791, and uh, so uh, it was written sometime in his uh, uh, ministry probably in the latter part of the uh, 1700s. And uh, so we'll just try to stick to, uh, uh, to his words and try to grasp the tremendous thoughts that he gives us here. I believe that uh, it's so pertinent for us today. Uh, you know, the principles of God never change. Society around us changes, and there's times that we can apply them in different ways, but, uh, but God's principles remain concrete for us. I'd like to begin with our Scripture reading from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 16, and we'll read just the first 13 verses. And I'll invite you to stand to honor the reading of God's Word, beginning in Luke, chapter 16, and verse 1. And he said also unto his disciples, There was a certain rich man which had a steward, and the same was accused unto him that he had wasted his goods. And he called him and said unto him, How is it that I hear this of thee? Give an account of thy stewardship, for thou mayest be no longer steward. Then the steward said within himself, What shall I do? For my Lord taketh away from me the stewardship. I cannot dig to beg, I am ashamed. I am resolved what to do, that when I am put out of the stewardship, they may receive me into their houses. So he called every one of his Lord's debtors unto him and said unto the first, How much owest thou unto my Lord? And he said, An hundred measures of oil. He said unto him, Take thy bill and sit down quickly and write fifty. Then said he to another, And how much owest thou? And he said, An hundred measures of wheat. And he said unto him, Take thy bill and write fourscore. The Lord commended the unjust steward because he had done wisely. Well, the children of this world are in their generation wiser than the children of light. And I say unto you, Make to yourselves friends of the mammon of unrighteousness, that when you fail, they may receive you into everlasting habitations. He is faithful in that which is least, is faithful also in the much. He that is unjust in the least is unjust also in much. If, therefore, ye have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? If ye have not been faithful in that which is another man's, who shall give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Father, we thank you again for your word. We thank you for the time you've given us this evening. Now, Lord, we pray that you'll take these words before us that were uh, written, Lord, some 250, 300 years ago, and, Lord, that you would take and use them to speak to our hearts this evening. Most of all, it's your word, Father, that through the anointing of your Spirit, that it might find a resting place in our hearts. In Christ's name we pray, amen and amen. Mr. Wesley used for his text out of this reading, verse 9, And I say unto you, Make to yourselves friends of the mammon of unrighteousness, that when ye fail, they may receive you into everlasting habitations. Just before we look to it, look at the account of the story that's being told here. This this man had been a bad steward of what had been entrusted to him. When it came that that stewardship was being taken from him, he tried to use his trickery, if you would, to go out, what am I going to do? And so he goes out and all those that owns, owes his Lord money, he goes out and he begins to, to cut it in half and cut portions off of it so that when he's booted out, they're going to be friends enough to take him in because he's done them favors with his money. And then... The master says, tells him that he's actually done something wise. And of course, he makes this statement here in verse 9. Notice what he said in verse 8. And the Lord commended the unjust steward because he had done wisely. For The children of this world are in their generation wiser than the children of light. Now saying to you, make to yourselves friends of the mammon of unrighteousness, that when you fail, they may receive you into everlasting habitation. Now, we find that the Lord has just finished here the story of the prodigal son, as we call it. And of course, when he was telling the story of the prodigal son, he was addressing those that had murmured at his receiving publicans and sinners into his own self and having fellowship with them. But here he has another relation of a different kind. He's addressing this to the children of God. Notice he begins there in verse 1, and he said also unto his disciples. After reciting the method which the bad steward had used to provide against the day of necessity that was coming to him, our Savior adds these words in in verse 8 that the Lord commended the unjust steward because he had done wisely. We find that uh, those who seek no other portion than this world are wiser. He says, not absolutely, for they are one and all the various fools, the most egregious madman under heaven, but in their generation, in their own way. They are more consistent with themselves. They are truer to their acknowledged principles. They're more steadily pursued therein than the children of light. Notice this is the context of what he's saying this to them. We find that the Lord follows with the words, and I. The Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, the Creator of the universe, Lord, and Possessor of heaven and earth, and all that is therein, the Judge of all. To whom He says here that we are to give an account of our stewardship. When ye can be no longer stewards. The day's coming when we will not be the stewards of God's things anymore, but we will all stand and give an account for our stewardship. I say unto you, learn in this respect, even of the unjust steward. this interesting statement, make yourselves friends, be wise. timely precaution need says, of the Mammon of unrighteousness. Now Mammon means riches or money. It's termed here the mammon of. Unrighteousness. How are we to be friends with the mammon of unrighteousness? It's called that because of the unrighteous manner wherein it frequently is procured and wherein even that which was honestly procured is generally employed. Make yourselves friends of this by doing all possible good, particularly to the children of God, that when ye fail, when ye return to the dust, when ye have no more place under the sun, those of them who are gone before may receive you, may welcome you into the everlasting habitations, he says here. An excellent branch of Christian wisdom is here inculcated by our Lord on all his followers, namely He says, "...the right use of money, a subject largely spoken of after their manner by the men of the world, but not sufficiently considered by those whom God hath chosen out of the world. These generally do not consider, as the importance of the subject requires, the use of this excellent talent." neither do they understand how to employ it to the greatest advantage, the introduction of which into the world is one admirable instance of the wise and gracious providence of God. It has, indeed, been the manner of poets and orators and philosophers in almost all ages and nations to rail at this as the the grand corrupter of the world, the bane of virtue, the pest of human society, Hence, nothing so commonly heard as, and I'm not going to try to repeat his Latin that he spells out here, but translated into English, and gold more mischievous than keenest steel. Hence the lamentable complaint, wealth is dug deep, incentive to all ill. Nay, one celebrated writer gravely exhorts his countrymen in order to banish all vice at once, to throw all their money into the sea. But is not all this mere empty rant? Is there any solid reason therein? By no means. Let the world be as corrupt as it will. Is gold, silver to blame? The love of money, we know, is the root of all evil, but not the thing itself. The fault does not lie in the money, but in them that use it. It may be used ill, and what may not, but it may be likewise be used well. It is full as applicable to the best as to the worst uses. It is of unspeakable service to all civilized nations and all the common affairs of life. It is a most compendious instrument of transacting all manner of business. And if we use it according to Christian wisdom, of doing all manner of good, it is true. Were man in a state of innocence, or were all men filled with the Holy Ghost, so that like the infant church at Jerusalem, no man counted anything he had his own? but distribution was made to everyone as he had need, the use of it would be superseded. As we cannot conceive there is anything of the kind among the inhabitants of heaven. But in the present state of mankind, it is an excellent gift of God, answering the noblest ends. In the hands of his children, it is food for the hungry, drink for the thirsty, raiment for the naked. He gives to the traveler and the stranger where to lay his head. By it, we may supply the place of a husband to the widow and of a father to the fatherless. We may be a defense for the oppressed, a means of health to the sick, of ease to them that are in pain. It may be his eyes to the blind, his feet to the lame, yea, a lifter up from the gates of death. It is therefore the highest concern that all who fear God know how to employ this valuable talent, that they be instructed how it may answer these glorious ends and in the highest degree. And perhaps all the instructions which are necessary, listen, for this may be reduced to three plain rules. By the exact observance whereof we may approve ourselves faithful stewards of the mammon of unrighteousness. This is his introduction in showing the importance that a child of God understand God's principles on using whatever God gives us with. Remember, all good gifts are from him. And it's not the money, the mammon itself, that is the sin, the problem. It is with the people and how they use it. And he's showing us, he says, there's three simple basic rules that a child of God should put into practice in being friends of this unrighteous mammon. The first of these, he bore us from John here, he that heareth, not let him hear, but let him understand. The first of these is gain all you can. Sounds a bit selfish, doesn't it? Gain all you can. Here he says we may speak like the children of the world. We meet them on their own ground. And it is our bounden duty to do this. Listen, we ought to gain all we can gain without buying gold too dear, without paying more for it than it is worth. But this, it is certain we ought not to do. We ought not to gain money at the expense of life, nor, which is in effect the same thing, at the expense of our health. Therefore, no gain whatsoever should induce us to enter into or to continue in any employ which is of such a kind or is attended with so hard or so long labor as to impair our constitution. Neither should we begin or continue in any business which necessarily deprives us of proper seasons for food and sleep in such a proportion as our nature requires. Indeed, there is a great difference here. Some employments are absolutely and totally unhealthy as those which imply the dealing much with arsenic or with equally hurtful minerals, with the breathing and air tainted with street steams of melting lead, which must at length destroy the firmest constitution. Of course, there were many that had to work in those kind of, of conditions in those days. Others may not be absolutely unhealthy, but only to persons of a weak constitution. Such are those which require many hours to be spent in writing, especially if a person... Right, sitting, and lean upon his stomach, or remain long in an uneasy posture. But whatever it is, which reason or experience shows to be destructive of health or strength, that we may not submit to, seeing the life is more valuable than meat and the body than raiment. And if we are already engaged in such an employee, we should exchange it as soon as possible for some which, if it lessen our gain, will however, not lessen our health. So his first point is, first of all, gain all you can, but not at the expense of your health. He says to gain all we can without, not only physically, without hurting our mind any more than our body. For well, neither may we hurt this. We must preserve at all events the spirit of a healthful mind. Therefore, we may not engage or continue in any sinful trade, any that is contrary to the law of God or of our country. Such are all that necessarily imply our robbing or defrauding the king of his lawful customs. Can't cheat the taxman either. For it is at least as sinful to defraud the king of his right as to rob our fellow subjects. And the king has full as much right to his customs as we have to our houses and apparel. Other businesses there are, which, however innocent in themselves, cannot be followed with innocence, now at least, not in England, such, for instance, as will not afford a competent maintenance without cheating or lying, or conformity to some custom which not consistent with good conscience. These likewise are sacredly to be avoided. Whatever gain they may be attended with, provided we follow the custom of the trade. For to gain money, we must not lose our souls. There are yet others, which many pursue with perfect innocence without hurting either their body or mind. And yet perhaps you cannot Either they may entangle you in that company which would destroy your soul. And by repeated experiments, it may appear that you cannot separate the one from the other. Or there may be an idiosyncrasy, a peculiarity in your constitution of soul as there is in the bodily constitution of many. By reason whereof that employment is deadly to you, which another may safely follow. So I'm convinced for many experiments, I could not study to any degree of perfection, either mathematics, arithmetic, or algebra without being a deist, if not an atheist. And yet others may study them all their lives without sustaining any inconvenience. None, therefore, can here determine for another, but every man must judge for himself and abstain from whatever he in particular finds to be hurtful to his soul. Gain all you can, not at the expense of your body, not at the expense of your mind. Thirdly, to gain all we can, not only without hurting ourselves physically or mentally, but gain all we can without hurting our neighbor. But this we may not, cannot do if we love our neighbor as ourselves. We cannot, if we love everyone as ourselves, hurt anyone in his substance. We cannot devour the increase of his lands and perhaps the lands and houses themselves by gaming, by overgrown bills, whether on account of physic or law or anything else, or by requiring or taking such interest as even the laws of our country forbid. Hereby, all pawnbroking is excluded. Seeing whatever good we might do thereby, all unprejudiced men see with grief to be abundantly overbalanced by the evil. And if it were otherwise, yet we are not allowed to do evil that good may come. We cannot, consistent with brotherly love, Sell our goods below the market price. We cannot study to ruin our neighbor's trade in order to advance our own. Much less can we entice away or receive any of his servants or workmen whom he has need of. None can gain by swallowing up his neighbor's substance without gaining the damnation of hell. Gain all you can but not at the expense of your physical body, not at the expense of your mind, of your thinking, of your soul, not at the expense of your neighbor. Neither can we gain by hurting our neighbor in his body. Therefore, we may not sell anything which tends to impair health. Such is, imminently, all that liquid fire, commonly called drams or spirituous liquors, It is true. These may have a place in medicine. They may be of use in some bodily disorders, although there would rarely be occasion for them were it not for the unskillfulness of the practitioner. Therefore, such as prepare and sell them only for this end may keep their conscience clear. But who are they? Who prepare and sell them only for this end? Do you know ten such distillers in England? Then excuse these. But all who sell them in the common way to any that will buy are poisoners general. They murder his majesty's subjects by wholesale. Neither does their eye pity or spare. They drive them to hell like sheep. And what is their gain? Is it not the blood of these men? Who then would envy their large estates and sumptuous palaces? A curse is in the midst of them. The curse of God cleaves to the stones, the timber, the furniture of them. The curse of God is in their gardens, their walks, their groves, the fire that burns to the nethermost hell. Blood, blood is there. The foundation, the floor, the walls, the roof are stained with blood. And canst thou hope, O thou man of blood, Though thou art clothed in scarlet and fine linen and farest sumptuously every day, canst thou hope to deliver down thy fields of blood to the third generation? Not so, for there is a God in heaven. Therefore thy name shall soon be rooted out. Like as those whom thou hast destroyed, body and soul, thy memorial shall perish with thee. Gain all you can but not at the expense of your physical health, your body, not at the expense of your mind, of your thinking, of your soul, not at the expense of your neighbor and his substance and what he has that you're taking from him that you might have, and not at the hurting of your neighbor physically. And, of course, he uses the illustration of alcohol as one simple, very clear illustration and are not they partakers of the same guilt, though in a lower degree, whether surgeons, apothecaries, or physicians, who play with the lives or health of men to enlarge their own gain, purposely lengthen the pain or disease which they are able to remove speedily, to protract the cure of their patient's body in order to plunder his substance, In other words, if you just keep carrying something on and stretching it out so that you can make more money, he's saying that a lot of these professionals are doing that. Can any man be clear before God who does not shorten every disorder as much as he can and remove all sickness and pain as soon as he can? He cannot. Well, nothing could be more clear than that he does not love his neighbor as himself and that he does not do unto others as he would they should do unto himself. This is dear-bought gain. And so is whatever is procured by hurting our neighbor in his soul. He's gone, your body, your soul, to your neighbor's substance, to your neighbor's body, to your neighbor's soul. By ministering, suppose, either directly or indirectly to his unchastity or intemperance, which certainly none can do, who has any fear of God or any real desire of pleasing him, It nearly concerns all those to consider this, who have anything to do with taverns, victualling houses, opera houses, playhouses, or any other places of public fashionable diversion. If these profit the souls of men, you are clear your employment is good and your gain innocent, but if they are either sinful in themselves or natural inlets to sin of various kinds, then it is to be feared. You have a sad account to make. Oh, beware, lest God say in that day, these have perished in their iniquity, but their blood do I require at thy hands. You know, I can remember even in my lifetime when that for a Christian to work in a place that even sold alcohol, that had any of these sinful acts taking place within them, that it was unheard of, a Christian couldn't think of it. And yet we live in a day when that Man has become so accustomed to these things that even Christians don't think anything about taking their employment and making their gain in these places where sin is. These cautions and restrictions being observed. It is the bounden duty of all who are engaged in worldly business to observe that first and great rule of Christian wisdom with respect to money, gain all you can. Gain all you can by honest industry. Use all possible diligence in your calling. Lose no time if you understand yourself and your relation to God and man. You know you have none to spare. If you understand your particular calling as you ought, you will have no time that hangs upon your hands. Every business will afford some employment sufficient for every day and every hour that wherein you are placed. If you follow it in earnest, will leave you no leisure for silly, unprofitable diversions. You have always something better to do, something that will profit you more or less. And whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy might. Do it as soon as possible, no delay. No putting off from day to day or from hour to hour. Never leave anything till tomorrow which you can do today. And do it. As well as possible. Do not sleep or yawn over it. Put your whole strength to the work. Spare no pains. Let nothing be done by halves or in a slight and careless manner. Let nothing in your business be left undone if it can be done by labor or patience. The Bible tells us to do all things as unto the Lord. As if we're doing it for him personally. Gain all you can by common sense, by using in your business all the understanding which God has given you. It is amazing to observe how few do this, how men run on in the same dull track with their forefathers, but whatever they do who know not God, this is no rule for you. It is a shame for a Christian not to improve upon them in whatever he takes in hand. You should be continually learning from the experience of others or from your own experience, reading and reflecting to do everything you have to do better today than you did yesterday. You see that you practice whatever you learn, that you may make the best of all that is in your hands. Gain all that you can. You see, what he's saying, folks, is that we have a responsibility as believers to do everything we possibly can by honest means, that's not going to hurt us physically and mentally, not going to take away from our neighbor's substance, not going to hurt our neighbor physically or mentally. We have a responsibility to do everything that we can do to the very best of our ability to gain all that we can. His second point, having gained all you can by honest wisdom and unwearied diligence, the second rule of Christian prudence is save all you can. Gain all you can, save all you can. Do not throw the precious talent into the sea. You doing a same. throwing it into the sea, wasting it. Leave that folly to heathen philosophers. Do not throw it away in idle expenses, which is just the same as throwing it into the sea. Expend no part of it merely to gratify the desire of the flesh, the desire of the eye, or the pride of life. Do not waste any part of so precious a talent merely in gratifying the desires of the flesh, in procuring the pleasures of sense of whatever kind, particularly in enlarging the pleasure of tasting. I do not mean avoid gluttony and drunkenness only. An honest heathen would condemn these. But there is a regular, reputable kind of sensuality an elegant epicurism which does not immediately disorder the stomach nor sensibly at least impair the understanding. And yet to mention no other effects of it now, it cannot be maintained without considerable expense. Cut off all this expense. Despise delicacy and variety and be content With the plain natural, with the with what plain nature requires, he's not condoning don't eat it. He's saying don't waste it on a whole bunch of fancy delicacies that your body doesn't need anyway. Do not waste any part of so precious a talent merely on gratifying the desire of the eye by superfluous or expensive apparel or by needless ornaments. Waste no part of it in curiously adorning your houses in superfluous or expensive furniture, in costly pictures, painting, gilding, books, in elegant rather than useful gardens. Let your neighbors, who know nothing better, do this. Let the dead bury their dead. But what is that to thee, says our Lord? Follow thou me. Are you willing? Then you are able so to do. Lay out nothing to gratify the pride of life, to gain the admiration or praise of men. This motive of expensive is frequently interwoven with one or both of the former. Men are expensive in diet or apparel or furniture, not barely to please their appetite or to gratify their eye, their imagination, but their vanity too. So long as thou dost well unto thyself men will speak good thee, so long as thou art clothed in purple and fine linen and farest sumptuously every day. No doubt many will applaud thy elegance of taste, thy generosity and hospitality, but do not buy their applause so dear. Rather be content with the honor that cometh from God. In other words, we've got to look (laughs) apart. You're so worried by the food you eat, the clothes you wear, and the way that you decorate your home, and all these things, what other people are going to think of us. Who would expend anything in gratifying these desires if he considered that to gratify them is to increase them? Nothing can be more certain than this. Daily experience shows the more they are indulged, they increase the more. You never satisfy the flesh. Whenever, therefore, You expend anything to please your taste or other senses. You pay so much for sensuality. When you lay out money to please your eye, you give so much for an increase of curiosity, for a stronger attachment to these pleasures which perish in the using. While you are purchasing anything which men use to applaud, you are purchasing more vanity. Had you not then enough of vanity, sensuality, curiosity before? Was there need of any addition? And would you pay for it too? What manner of wisdom is this? Would not the literally throwing your money into the sea be a less mischievous folly? Why should you throw away money upon your children any more than upon yourself? In delicate food, in gay or costly apparel, and superfluities of any kind. Why should you purchase for them more pride or lust, more vanity, or foolish and hurtful desires? They do not want any more. They have enough already. Nature has made ample provision for them. Why should you be at the farther expense to increase their temptations and snares and to pierce them through with more sorrows? In other words, when the children, not the clothes, the food they need, but when it's all these things they want just so that they can compare well with their friends and all this, you're not doing them a favor by wasting your money on those things. Do not leave it to them to throw away. If you have good reason to believe that they would waste what is now in your possession in gratifying and thereby increasing the desire of the flesh, the desire of the eye, or the pride of life at the peril of theirs and your own soul, do not set these traps in their way. Do not offer your sons or your daughters unto Bilal any more than unto Moloch. Have pity upon them and remove out of their way what you may easily foresee would increase their sins and consequently plunge them deeper into everlasting perdition. How amazing then is the infatuation of these parents who think they can never leave their children enough. What? Cannot you leave them enough of arrows, firebrands, and death? Not enough of foolish and hurtful desires? Not enough of pride, lust, ambition, vanity, not enough of everlasting burnings, poor wretch, thou fearest where no fear is, surely both thou and they, when ye are lifting up your eyes in hell, will have enough of both of the worm that never dieth, and of the fire that never shall be quenched. What then would you do if you was in my case, if you had a considerable fortune to leave, Whether I would do it or no, I know what I ought to do. This will admit of no reasonable question. If I had one child, elder or younger, who knew the value of money, one who I believe would put it to the true use, I should think it my absolute indispensable duty to leave that child, the bulk of my fortune, and to the rest just so much as would enable them to live in the manner they'd been accustomed to do. But what if all your children were equally ignorant of the true use of money? I ought then, hard saying, who can hear it, to give each what would keep them above want, and to bestow all the rest in such a manner as I judged would be most for the glory of God. Gain all you can. Save all you can. Gain all you can, as long as it's not to your own physical and mental detriment, to the substance, physical, or mental detriment of your neighbor. Save all you can. And, of course, he's speaking here about not being wasteful of what we do have. Gain what we can, but then don't just waste it on all the frivolous things that don't really matter anyway. And we get caught up in the, in the world's views and the world's ideas of, of what's important. And if we're not careful we pass those same things on to our children and we feed those things which are to their destruction, not to their aid. But let not any man imagine that he has done anything barely by going thus far, by gaining and saving all he can. If he were to stop here, all this is nothing. If a man go not forward, if he does not point all this at a farther end just making all you can and saving all you can, that in itself hasn't accomplished the end. Nor indeed can a man properly be said to save anything if he only lays it up, just so you can have a lot lot of money in the bank. You may as well throw your money into the sea as bury it in the earth. And you may as well bury it in the earth as in your chest or in the bank of England not to use is effectually to throw it away. If therefore you would indeed make yourselves friends of the mammon of a righteousness, add the third rule to the two preceding, having first gained all you can and secondly saved all you can, then give all you can. In order to see the ground and reason of this, consider when the possessor of heaven and earth brought you into being and placed you in this world, he placed you here not as a proprietor, but a steward. As such, he entrusted you for a season with goods of various kinds, but the sole property of these still rest in him, nor can be alienated from him, as you yourself are not your own. But his, such is likewise all, All that you enjoy. Such is your soul and your body, not your own, but God's. And so is your substance in particular. He has told you in the most clear and expressed terms how you are to employ it for Him in such a manner that it may be all and holy sacrifice acceptable through Christ Jesus. And in this light, easy service, He has promised to reward with an eternal weight of glory. The directions which God has given us, touching the use of our worldly substance, may be comprised in the following particulars. If you desire to be a faithful and a wise steward out of that portion of your Lord's goods, which he has for the present lodged in your hands, but with the right of resuming whenever it pleases Him, first, provide things needful for yourself. Food to eat, raiment to put on, whatever nature moderately requires for preserving the body in health and strength. In other words, yes. Buy those things that are needful. Secondly, provide these for your wife, your children, your servants, or any others who pertain to your household. If when this is done, there be an overplus left, then do good to them that are of the household of faith. If there be an overplus still, as you have opportunity, do good unto all men. In so doing, you give all you can. Nay, in a sound sense, all you have. For all that is laid out in this manner is really given to God. You render unto God the things that are God's, not only by what you give to the poor, but also by that which you expend in providing things needful for yourself and your household. In other words, when you're using that money wisely, you're caring for those that you have responsibility for, not wasting it on superfluous things that have absolutely no meaning, but meeting their needs. And when those needs have been met, your first responsibility are to your brothers and sisters in Christ, those who are of the household of faith, if they have needs, and then doing good to all men, beyond that, as we reach out to the world. If then, a doubt should at any time arise in your mind concerning what you are going to expend, either on yourself or any part of your family, you have an easy way to remove it, calmly calmly and seriously inquire. First question, in expending this, am I acting according to my character? Am I acting herein not as a proprietor, but as a steward of my Lord's goods? When you go to use that money, are you using it the way God wants you to use it, or are you using it as if it were your own, just to do what you want to with? Secondly, Am I doing this in obedience to His Word? In what Scripture does He require me so to do? When we're using that which God has blessed us with, are we doing it in a manner that is completely in compliance with His Word? Third, can I offer up this action, this expense, as a sacrifice to God through Jesus Christ? (laughs) With what we're using that Mammon 4, can we genuinely say it's for God's glory that we're offering it up to Him? Fourth, have I reason to believe that for this very work I shall have a reward at the resurrection of the just? He says we will give an account at the last day for everything that we've had stewardship over in this life. You will seldom need anything more to remove any doubt which arises on this head. But by this fourfold consideration you will receive clear light as to the way wherein you should go, if any doubt still remain. You may farther examine yourself by prayer according to those heads of inquiry. Try whether you can say to the searcher of hearts your conscience, not condemning you, Lord. Thou seest I am going to expend this sum on that food, apparel, furniture, and thou knowest. I act herein with a single eye as a steward of thy goods, expending this portion of them thus in pursuance of the design thou hast entrusted me with. Thou knowest I do this in obedience to the Lord as thou commandest, and because thou commandest it, let this I beseech thee be in holy sacrifice, acceptable through Jesus Christ. And give me a witness in myself that for this labor of love I shall have a recompense when thou rewardest every man according to his works. Now, if your conscience bear you witness in the Holy Ghost that this prayer is well-pleasing to God, then have you no reason to doubt, but that expense is right and good, and such as will never make you ashamed. In other words, when we talk to God about these things, can we in absolute conscience believe this is what God would do? This is how God would want this used. He says, You see then what it is to make yourselves friends of the mammon of unrighteousness? And by what means you may procure that when ye fail, they may receive you into the everlasting habitations. You see the nature and extent of truly Christian prudence as far as it relates to the use of that great talent money. Gain all you can without hurting either yourself or your neighbor in soul or body by applying hereto with unintermitted diligence and with all the understanding which God has given you. Save all you can by cutting off every expense which serves only to indulge foolish desire to gratify either the desire of the flesh, the desire of the eye, or the pride of life. Waste nothing, living or dying, on sin or folly, whether for yourself or your children. And then, give all you can. Or in other words, give all you have to God. Render unto God not a tenth, not a third, not half, but all that is God's. Be it more or less. By employing all in yourself, your household, the household of faith, and all mankind in such a manner that you may give a good account of your stewardship when you can be no longer stewards in such a manner as the oracles of God direct Both by general and particular precept, in such a manner that whatever ye do may be a sacrifice of a sweet smelling savor to God, that every act may be rewarded in that day when the Lord cometh with all his saints. He closes with this comment Brethren, can we be either wise or faithful stewards unless we thus manage our Lord's goods? We cannot. As not only the oracles of God, but our own conscience beareth witness, then why should we delay? Why should we confer any longer with flesh and blood or men of the world? Our kingdom, our wisdom is not of this world. Heathen custom is nothing to us. We follow no men any farther than they are followers of Christ. Hear ye Him. Yea, today, while it is called today, hear and obey His voice at this hour, and from this hour do His will, fulfill His word in this and in all things. I entreat you, in the name of the Lord Jesus, act up to the dignity of your calling. No more sloth. Whatsoever your hand findeth to do, do it with your might. No more waste. Cut off your expense which fashion, caprice, or flesh and blood demand. No more covetousness, but employ whatever God has entrusted you with in doing good, all possible good, in every possible kind and degree to the household of faith to all men. This is no small part of the wisdom of the just. Give all ye have as well as all ye are a spiritual sacrifice to him who withheld not from you his son, his only son. So laying up in store for yourselves a good foundation against the time to come that you may attain eternal life. Mr. Wesley said if we apply these three principles in our finances, gain all you can by honest means. That's not going to hurt you or your neighbor bodily, Spiritually, emotionally, mentally, that's not going to take from someone else in order that you can gain. Gain all that you can honestly and by God's principles. Once you gain all you can, save all you can. Don't use it foolishly. Recognize that it all belongs to God. Every penny that we spend, we give an account because truly it's all from God or we would have nothing. Can we have a good conscience before God for the way that we are using that which we've gained? Gain all you can. Save all you can by not using it foolishly and then give all you can. Use it wisely. Yes, for your needs of those and you have responsibility for, but then for your brothers and sisters in Christ and for the world in general. You can never outgive God. And, of course, we looked this morning at that wonderful principle in Scripture of faith-promise-giving. As I read this sermon, I think, you know, one of the things, you know, if, if we could truly, genuinely, I like what he said in the beginning. If it was all just like we've been looking at in some recent weeks, if we were all truly filled with the Spirit as they were on the day of Pentecost, they had absolutely no desire for themselves. They just wanted to bring, they wanted everybody to be able to have what they needed, But unfortunately, we live in a day when we're surrounded, as I said this morning, all these things that are coming in on us that are bombarding us on how we need this and that and the other in order to be happy, in order to be successful, and all these things. The world is bombarding us. That's why we take these times out. That's why we have missions conferences. That's why we focus upon these things, recognizing what a responsibility to use what God has given us wisely for His glory, we will give an account for it when we stand before Him one day. We can apply these principles to that which God has blessed us with. It may amaze us. It may surprise us what could be accomplished for the Lord and for His work and for all those lost souls around us. Father, Lord, we thank You for this time together. And Lord, as we Lord, have simply looked back to this sermon that was written some I don't know, Lord, some 250, years ago. Father, we find that the details that were outlined there are still so relevant today in our lives. I pray that, Lord, that you'd help us, Lord, to give praise and thanks. What strength, what health, all that we have you've given to us. Help us, Lord, to, to be able to, to apply ourselves and not to be slothful and lazy, but, Lord, to apply ourselves to gain all that we can in this life to save all that we can by not using what we've gained foolishly, but, Lord, that we might be able to to give it all, that we might be able to give it in a way that's going to bring glory and honor to you. Father, we pray that during this week that you would speak to our hearts. Lord, we've said this morning, we know the devil will try to keep people away. Even as we see here tonight, there are so many missing. But, Father, we can do nothing. We cannot speak to those that are not here. Father, we pray that during this week that you would help people to determine in their heart to be here, to listen to what you have for us, Lord, to what you have to say to us. Lord, may we come with open hearts and minds ready, listening to you, wanting to know what your will is for our lives in this matter of mission. Lord, once again, would your blessings be upon those that are coming, be upon all these that are here tonight, those that will be here throughout the week. We give praise and honor and glory for it.